We want to never give up on our Christian lives, never give in to difficulty, never cave to overwhelming darkness. Steadfastness is a spiritual staying power. This is the day after day after day of reading our Bibles, of praying, of striving to live in a holy way, even when it is so very hard. You're listening to Reformed Womanhood with Anna Walker, where we seek to reform the lives of women in all ages and stages with the truth of the Bible. For the first couple of years of high school at the small private school I attended, I played on the volleyball team. I think they just must have needed players because my stellar athletic ability was certainly not the reason they wanted me to play. In fact, because of that stellar athletic ability, I rarely played for any significant amount of time in any of the games. Of course, I went to practice, I was friends with the players, I wore the uniform, I showed up at every game. I could talk about all the volleyball terms like setting and passing, but when it really mattered, I usually sat on the bench while the other players participated on the court. Now, I really enjoyed playing on the volleyball team, so this is not a woe is me from my high school years. I just want us to think about the idea of being on the court as a player, actively engaged, versus a player who may look like a player but really just sits on the bench. In our passage today, Peter is telling us to get off the bench of the Christian life. In fact, he's telling us that really there isn't even a bench. Peter is warning us against the casual Christian lifestyle, a lifestyle like showing up at church occasionally or even regularly, perhaps showing up at Bible study in small group, but not actively, purposefully, and personally participating on the court, the court of your own spiritual growth. Let's read 2 Peter 1, 5-7. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. All right, there's a lot to get through in this passage. So let's start with that first phrase, for this very reason. That phrase should make us ask, what is this reason? Well, it's the reason Peter gave us in the previous verses that his divine power has worked in us and given us all we need for life and godliness. So Peter's implication is that there is a way we ought to live because of the faith we have been granted and his power working in us. So because of the faith we have been given, because of the power we have been given, because of the participation in the divine nature that we have been given, because of the promises we have been given. We are now told to do something, to get off the bench, to not coast on the gift of grace. We are told to supplement our faith and to make every effort to supplement this faith. Sisters, Peter is reminding us that the gift of grace does not cancel the priority of effort 
but our effort is grounded in and fueled by the saving, substitutionary work of Christ on the cross. The only reason we can even exert effort is because of his power working in us. But because of his power working in us, we are told to exert this effort. So today, there is one key point to remember from our text. Invest in your spiritual condition with personal, purposeful, costly effort. Let me say that one more time. Invest in your own spiritual growth with personal, purposeful, costly effort. We see this effort in verse 5, where Peter exhorts us to make every effort, and where we get the name of our second Peter Bible study from, with all effort. Make every effort combines two Greek words, the idea of applying yourself to something to bring alongside something, and then the idea of with all diligence, with all haste, with all zeal, with all effort. Thus, with all diligence, zeal, effort we apply ourselves. What are we to apply ourselves to with all the energy and zeal and effort we can possibly muster? Well, verse 5 says we are to make every effort to supplement our faith. This word supplement is one of my favorite words in this whole book of 2 Peter. When I studied this word originally, it brought me to tears, friends. So we will see a beautiful full circle moment with this word supplement in the next podcast. So I guess this is my encouragement to keep listening, to download the next episode, to hear this full circle moment. So back to the word supplement. This word is where we get our word for choreographer. Listen to this. In the culture Peter was writing, the state would make this chorus that would sing and dance in the many plays that would be produced. Ultimately, years later, we would get our Greek tragedies, such as the Iliad and the Odyssey, from these plays. But for the chorus, there was always a director, and the director would pay the expenses for training this chorus. One person personally paid the expenses to make the chorus happen. So over time then, this word supplement came to be used of someone who provided for or supported others or supplied something in abundance. In this word, there is an over-the-top lavishness in the provision, all out of their own expense. Do you hear the weight and scope of these words? Diligence, zeal, haste, with lavish, extravagant provision. So with all of these qualities Peter will list out, we work at every single one of them with diligence, zeal, haste, and extravagant provision. There's not the idea of sitting on a bench here, is there? There is energy and intensity involved in our own spiritual growth, and Peter is telling us to spend it. Sisters, listen, we do not drift towards godliness. We do not drift towards godliness. We do not gain spiritual growth casually. Spiritual growth involves personal and purposeful, costly effort. 
So before we get to this list of qualities, we have to ask currently in our day-to-day lives, what are we spending this personal and purposeful effort on? Because we are all spending our lives on something. We are all sacrificing for something because whether we know it or not, whether it's purposeful or not, we may be sacrificing for our careers, our own comforts, for our own priorities or pleasures. We may be sacrificing for time on social media or even sleep, prioritizing our own agendas and schedules over sanctification. Peter is telling us here, friends, that the rhythm of our lives, the drumbeat of our hearts should be the grand, hard yet worth it goal of spiritual growth. We are to position our lives, prioritize our hearts in such a way that we do every single thing we can do to aid our spiritual growth. Spiritual growth does not come by osmosis or even half-hearted participation. So let's keep all of this in mind as we work our way through this list of qualities that the Spirit, through Peter, is going to tell us to work at and to work at with all effort. Notice that we are to supplement our faith. We must have faith before we grow. Peter is writing to believers, those who have obtained, received faith from the Lord. So we have to start with this question. Have you really received faith? Did you come to a point where you recognize that you are dead in your sins and have no hope to get to the Lord, no hope for this life, no hope for eternity apart from Christ? Have you believed that Jesus, the perfect son of God, lived a perfect life on this earth, died in your place, and rose again three days later, breaking the power of sin and death forever? If you don't have faith, if you have not trusted in Jesus, you are running a race that ends in eternal separation from the Lord. Okay, we are going to get through this list of seven qualities Peter gives. We're going to have to race through these, friends. I wish we had more time, but this is what we have. So grab a cup of coffee with me if you're able, and we're just going to plow through this list together. The first quality Peter gives is virtue. We are to supplement our faith with virtue. The ESV translates this word virtue, but you could also translate it moral excellence, which is how it's translated in Philippians 4, 8, where Paul lists out what we are to think on, to think on the things that are lovely and praiseworthy and excellent. So this virtue, this is moral excellence. It's a quality of life that would make you stand out as living an excellent life. So could someone look at the way you live and say, yes, live like that? Let's think together. Is your overall heart attitude morally excellent? Is the way you are conducting your everyday responsibilities morally excellent? How about the TV shows you are watching, the books you are reading? Would you call them morally excellent? Would you consider the use of your free time morally excellent? Think of it this way. If I said, we're going to track everything you did in a day and give that as a model for a younger believer to imitate, what in your day would possibly make you cringe a bit? What in your day would you not want someone to imitate? 
let me suggest that that might be the thing that is perhaps not morally excellent, not virtuous. I know there are things in my own life, certainly, that I would not want others to imitate friends. And those are perhaps the things that we are to work at with costly personal intentionality to change in order to supplement our faith with virtue. The next thing we are to make all effort to add to our faith is knowledge. I told y'all that we would see this word over and over and over again in this study. This is the personal, intimate knowledge of who God is. Knowledge that comes through scripture. Knowledge that is learned and then lived. David Mathis, author of Habits of Grace, says this. God designed the church to be a community of lifelong learners under the earthly guidance of leaders who are teachers at heart. The Christian faith is not a finite course of study for the front end of adulthood. Our mindset shouldn't be first to do our learning and then spend the rest of our lives drawing from that original deposit of knowledge. Rather, ongoing health in the Christian life is inextricably linked to ongoing learning. So did you hear that? Our life is not spent drawing on that original deposit of knowledge. You cannot tell your doctor you exercise regularly now because you ran a 5K five years ago. And you will not be spiritually in shape because you flipped through a devotional or even ran a marathon Bible study in years past. This is a continual reminder to regularly, repeatedly learn more about these words and the God who breathed them out. So we read the word, we read it over and over, we study it, we sing it, we speak it, we share it. So think through your life. How could you incorporate knowing more about this word to adding knowledge to your faith? Could you listen to another podcast? Spend an extra five minutes reading scripture in the mornings. Flip through the Bible app as you wait in line at the grocery store instead of texting a friend. Could you memorize more scripture or read a book that will grow your understanding instead of watching another TV show? Peter wants us to be women that know the truth, that know the truth and that live the truth in order to guard ourselves against anyone speaking anything else into our lives, to guard ourselves against even falling them away, perhaps, as they lead us away from Christ. We must be zealous to grow in our knowledge, to grow in personal, purposeful ways. And then next on our list, self-control. Can we even say this word out loud without cringing a bit? I don't know if I can. This word literally means to hold oneself in. Isn't that a beautiful picture of self-control to hold yourself in? This is Peter's forward-looking glance, looking ahead to the false teachers that he will vividly describe in chapter 2, who live lives full of sinful indulgence, clearly not holding themselves in. Friends, when I had toddlers, I came to the realization that everything I was teaching them, I really needed to hear myself, right? I mean, I might not throw myself on the floor and cry when I do not get my way, but I certainly may wallow in resentment 
or self-pity when my preferences are not met. I may spiral into anger or anxiety when my day does not go smoothly. The idea of self-control here means we live our lives in such a way that our desires do not lead us to sin. We hold ourselves in. We hold our feelings. We hold our emotions. We hold our preferences and personalities and expectations and aspirations in in such a way that we do not sin. This is what we tell our children, right? That their desire for the blue straw cup and only the blue straw cup should not lead to full on meltdown mode. And thus, similarly, our desire to have a well-decorated house should not lead us into an excess of spending. Our desire for emotional connection that was not met from our spouse should not lead us into a fit of ugly words spewed. Our desire for comfort does not lead us to overeating or overindulgence. Our desire for recognition should not lead us to resentment when our work remains unseen. Is there an area perhaps that you need to hold yourself in a little bit more? Friends, we must control our desires or our desires will control Four more qualities to get through in these verses. But first, a story. In the 1968 Olympics, there was a marathon runner from Tanzania named Aquari. There was a high altitude in Mexico City, and because of this, Aquari cramped badly. Then, in a jostling of runners jockeying for position in the race, he fell, which wounded his knee severely. He continued running, though finishing last among the competitors who completed the race. The winner of the marathon from Ethiopia finished in two hours and 20 minutes. A quarry finished over an hour later, which is unheard of in Olympic marathon conditions. There were only a few thousand people left in the stadium. As he finally crossed that finish line, a cheer came from the small crowd. Later, when he was interviewed, he was asked why he continued running. And this is what he said. My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. And similarly, we want to finish our race well. That's what our next quality, steadfastness, speaks to. It speaks to the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. We want to never give up on our Christian lives, never give in to difficulty, never cave to overwhelming darkness. Steadfastness is a spiritual staying power. This is the day after day after day of reading our Bibles, of praying, of striving to live in a holy way, even when it is so very hard. Even when the altitude is high and thin and we feel like we cannot breathe, even when we may limp spiritually, we do not give up. We keep coming to church. We keep coming to Bible study. We keep leaning into the body of Christ to pull us along. When we are weary, when we are tired, when we are frustrated or discouraged, we still keep going. One theologian says this about steadfastness. 
This is not the patience which grimly waits for the end, but the patience which radiantly hopes for the dawn. We radiantly hope for eternity as we day after day live lives of faithful, patient steadfastness. The next quality we see, I think, is partly what enables this type of steadfastness. The next quality is godliness. Godliness is this idea of being aware of God in every area of your life, of every aspect of your life being offered as worship to him. This is not the idea of reading your Bible, checking it off, and then doing your day on your own. This is the idea, this is being aware that the Lord is in your laundry folding, is in your interactions with customers or coworkers. The Lord is in your conversations over lunch or text with a friend. The Lord is in your interactions with a toddler or a teenager. R.C. Sproul says this, We don't segment our lives, giving some time to God, some to our business or schooling, while keeping others to ourselves. The idea is to live all of our lives in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and for the honor and glory of God. We want to live God-oriented lives. Verse 3 in this letter told us that we have been given everything we need for life and godliness, and yet we are to work hard at living this godly life. Friend, the Lord has placed you exactly where he wants you to be. And he wants you to do every single thing in your day in a way that pleases him, in a way that will worship him rightly. Our everyday moments may be ordinary, but we can live them in a way that displays our extraordinary Savior. That's what godliness entails. These last two qualities are related to our interactions with each other. We have brotherly affection, which we can call sisterly affection, and love. So brotherly, sisterly affection, it relates to how we feel about others in the body of Christ. It's distinctive to the body of Christ. So we should relate to other members in our church body in a way that shows our care and concern for them, for their physical and spiritual needs. And so many of you do this so very well. You write cards and cook meals and visit the sick and make calls and send texts of encouragement. And Peter says, keep doing it. May I suggest that loving others well requires that you know others in your church well, right? You cannot grow in your affection, your heart's response of feeling like these people are family if you simply do not know them. So do you know the people sitting around you in church? Know what they like and do not like. Know what stressed them out in this last week. Do you know what to pray for them? And then if you do know it, are you acting on that? Growing in it? Growing in your affections for that person? This takes time and intentionality. It takes forgiveness and grace. It takes sacrifice and service. And we are to work at it. Work at feeling like we are truly brothers and sisters in Christ with purpose and effort. So call someone, get together for coffee, for a play date, for both. Have people over for dinner or dessert. Stay around after Sunday service and just talk to people. Cultivate relationships with others in the body. Grow in your affection for each other. I think it is fitting that the last quality in this list is love. 
and it is probably the only quality in this list that the position it is listed in matters. It's probably the climax, the finale of our list. This love is agape love, a love that desires the highest good for others. This is the love that looks at others in the body of Christ and doesn't think about its own desires, but their desires. So are you doing this? Are you honoring others above yourselves? How many relationships have been damaged, even in your own church, your own circle of friends, because your own personal preferences, your lack of love got in the way? Yes, it may be hard. It will be hard to love others well, to put their desires over your own. But scripture says to keep at it. So are we loving others by being kind, by believing the best, by not being quick to get angry or irritable? Are we speaking words about others that edify and encourage? Think of how many times one word of loving kindness, one encouraging text, one card, one email, got you through the day. Let's be these type of women to each other. Let's love each other well. Sisters, I know this was a long list to get through in these verses. I hope you can take some time and perhaps write some notes in your Bible and your journal and meditate on, ponder, think through these qualities that Peter tells us to supplement our faith with. The bottom line here is that we do not drift towards spiritual growth. Our sinful nature, the fleeting yet enticing desires of this world around us, they will capsize our souls in disaster if we do not fight the current. Let's be women that invest in our own spiritual growth with purposeful, costly effort.